Well, I dare say that at some point in our careers, we believed that payroll was simply a magic button that existed in our back offices. Perhaps it was at a time where we weren't wearing that hat, or perhaps it was just a time where we just thought it moved so smoothly that it must have been automatic. Well, as our guest this week, Tracy Angwin from the Australian Payroll Association, tells us... It's simply not a magic button, but it holds such remarkable opportunity for our businesses in saving us time, money, boosting productivity, and of course, reducing our risk of non-compliance. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone, and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, and we're into episode 56. Well, I have to say, I was absolutely overwhelmed by the feedback that we got from our chat with Todd Yuri from the Pharmacy Podcast Show last week, not only from Australian pharmacists, but also US, and just the remarkable comments around how we are so similar in a lot of ways, and we can share the burden of a lot of the challenges with the innovations that we're creating both over here and in the US as well. How is your week? Um, how are things going at the moment? Obviously, we're into March at the moment. We're coming up to Easter. We've probably just gotten through our flu vaccine clinics, perhaps, or still going with them. And of course, we're headed up to, obviously, some challenging periods of time. We are hearing, obviously, a lot of negativity in the press at the moment. But these, as far as I'm concerned, are areas of, that we really can't control directly. And if we focus ourselves on the positive nature of opportunity and things within our direct control, then obviously we're in a position where we can challenge obviously what we can do in our pharmacies and grow and thrive as a result. So I guess this week as well has been great at my level as well. I've had a little bit of time to reflect coming back from APP as well. So I'm really overwhelmed by the feedback and the comments that I got from a lot of you listeners meeting up with you in person. And it's given me a lot to think about in terms of what you would like to see in for the remainder of 2015 and beyond, not only from this show, but from all of the different elements of transformation that you're now all familiar with. Had some great discovery sessions this week on all points of Australia, Western Australia, Tassie, Queensland, and also um, up north in the Northern Territory as well. So I'm always astounded by the length that technology can connect me with you and my audience, and obviously some great pharmacy owners who are doing some brilliant things in their businesses. And I guess the overwhelming comment from a lot of those discovery sessions was just the level of opportunity within our control. There's so many little things that we can do. As we spoke about last week, there's a lot of one percenters. There are little KPIs that we can focus on that can leverage opportunity and there's some great tools we spoke about last week of how you can get those but also you know I guess some some basic things around what we can do to just take off some hats and reduce the heavy burden of our administration Uh, I think the most common theme this week from my chats was just feeling stressed and burning the candle at both ends just trying to manage all of the administration whether it be the bookkeeping 
being the payroll, and I know we're going to go into that in great detail uh, with our fantastic guest this week in Tracy Angwin from the Australian Payroll Association, but I won't jump the gun there. But there's so many things we can do to just take the stress off ourselves and give ourselves the time, and more importantly, the insights to be able to do more with that information to run a smarter business as well. And I guess the overwhelming theme is we need to do more with less. I had a fantastic visit to a, uh, a retail uh, lab uh, here in Melbourne. I won't tell you who they are because I've got a very big surprise for you coming up in a few episodes time where I'm actually going to take you through a virtual tour of everything that they're looking at right now. And there's some fantastic technology innovations that they're, they're already rolling out in all sorts of different retail environments all around the world. And they're going to put together some great cases that I can walk you through as well. Uh, which is absolutely fantastic. But it really just, again, allows us to expand our minds as to where we're going. We spoke about last week about a product like VMotion where we can visually represent our merchandise and minimize our presentation stock and also the cost of managing that stock in the pharmacy, but that we're actually able to go to a whole new level with some of this technology that uh, we're looking at and the fact that the cost of the infrastructure has come down so much that a few of you, and I guess I dare say you might be in a, in a larger store, you might be open extended hours where some of this technology be relevant, but there's also a follow-up, as I promised last year, of what the capabilities of iBeacons are in pharmacy and how that can improve and personalize your pharmacy experience. I know you're going to love it, and I'm just so excited to bring it to you. I wish I could tell you everything right now, but I know you're going to appreciate it by grabbing a virtual tour as we go through the podcast, which I know you're going to love. Just also wanted to mention as well, we talk a lot about outside industry and a lot of you have asked me where do I get some of my ideas from and it's by attending some conferences that aren't necessarily pharmacy conferences as well. So if any of you are planning on attending either the Retail Tech Conference in Melbourne, uh, the 20th and 21st of May, uh, CBIT, which is the largest business and technology conference in Australia, um, I dare say maybe in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, on the 5th to the 7th of May. I'm looking to get up there on the 7th of May. Please let me know if you're planning on attending and we can meet up and uh, compare notes and uh, look at some of the biggest innovations that are coming our way. And of course, a lot of those are relevant to pharmacy, whether they're Stamp pharmacy or not is another thing because it all starts somewhere and there are some great parallels with a lot of industries, be it hospitality, travel, banking, as we've spoken about many times on this show as well. We're also going to have a transformation hangout. So if you've jumped on this episode the minute it's been published, Friday morning being today, um, make sure that if you're not on the email database at robertstar.com that you do that um, and you'll get access to our hangout, which is at 12 o'clock today. So it's fantastic. It was a great idea from Steve in New South Wales. He couldn't get up to APP for a whole range of reasons, so he couldn't attend our Transformation Tribe Meetup. But through technology, we're able to make it happen through a Google Hangout. And uh, if you're not quite sure what a Google Hangout is, I'm going to post the link to this Hangout in future show notes, and you'll be able to have a look at it. And when we do another one, you can jump straight in as well. 
Or if you're ultra keen, just jump in. I think about three or four have already commented to say, I don't know what I'm in for, but I'm going to love it. And it's really an opportunity for you to share with me your feedback about the show, but also hit me up with any questions you like. I'm happy to take both positive and negative questions because it's all going to help us build smarter, more successful businesses moving forward. And if I can help you bust through some of your biggest problems, particularly when it involves technology, I'm here to help as well. So make sure you take advantage of that. We're also going to have a follow-up masterclass. So I mentioned in episode 37, which was with John Hollenberg, that we would do a follow-up masterclass of how to build your first pharmacy website. And we're going to focus on the top five things that every pharmacy website needs to have. I know you're going to love that. I'm going to publish the link of how you can register for that in the show notes at robertstar.com forward slash episode 56. And we're also going to have another webinar as well. I know a lot of you got some great benefit when we had our five prescriptions for a stress-free holiday. You've downloaded those and you may have even attended our webinar back on the 10th of February. And actually I'm organizing one based on a lot of feedback that people have set some great goals. They've sent me messages of what they've achieved, what they've perhaps let go, and I'm trying to keep them accountable. So I'm going to have a check-in webinar uh, for that five prescriptions for a stress-free holiday. Um, but also it really is another opportunity uh, for you to hang out with me and get some of your biggest questions uh, answered as well. So we're going to do that on the 7th of April uh, and that masterclass will be uh, on the 17th of April as well. So just a couple of dates there to, uh, to keep in mind. And of course, if you haven't checked out the magazine boy, are you missing out. It's 48 pages of the best strategy of the first year of transformation. Head across to transformationmagazine.com.au or if you're already on the Robert Starr website, just hit the magazine tab and away you go. You read it straight away. There's no software to download. It's suitable, probably best on a tablet device, but it reads very, very well on some of our largest smartphones as well. So I know you're going to love that. But I wanted to give a quick shout out before we head across to Tracy to Luke, uh, because Luke, um, we caught up at APP and as well, and it was again a great thrill to catch up. And uh, I am going to mention Luke personally because uh, he uh, he answered the question that I posed to you some weeks ago when uh, David Flack uh, recorded an in a question for us uh, around whether we should be calling our patients customers or whether we should be calling them patients um, and where we could perhaps be doing both. And he uh, found a paper uh, which was published around that very topic and it really helped to focus on, I guess, the focus of the pharmacy, um, whether or not the merchandising actually added to the uh I guess the customer experience and uh, I guess what people felt was a positive or a negative thing when they were in the pharmacy. And if they found that the merchandising really didn't add to the experience, then they determined that they were really there as a patient uh, and it was very service orientated. Whereas obviously when they dedicated good space to an experience, um, then obviously, again, uh, we're focusing on being a patient as well. So I'll post that paper and it's in just an abstract uh, in the show notes as well at robertstar.com forward slash episode 56. And you can have a look at that. And I'd also love to know what you think as well, because my personal thoughts are, it really comes down to the environment that we're in. If we're going to have a very retail focus around perhaps a non-healthcare related category like cosmetics and really create an immersive experience, 
I dare th- say we're dealing with customers, but if we're in that clinical environment uh, where we're creating a nice experience for a patient to come in, and I know that David focused on uh, the fact that patients refer to someone who's not well, uh, so there may be a blend of the two. I don't know, but I'm sure we'll probably come up with a better name for our customers moving forward. Our interview today is with Tracy Angwin. She's the CEO of the Australian Payroll Association and the author of The Payroll Revolution. At Australian Payroll Association, they believe that payroll is the most underestimated function in business. Tracy Angwin, welcome to The Transformation Show. Thank you very much. Oh, it's great to have you on, Tracy. And I know that you know payroll is something that a lot of our owners always have to think about every single week, but they may not uh, put a lot of thought and uh, perhaps don't understand the biggest opportunities that lo- lie within it. So I know our chat today is going to uh, open some minds and open some opportunities and uh, hopefully give them some insights they can use. Sure. So I always like to start the, start these chats in our the audience always loves to know anything about our guests and how they got to where they are. So why did you focus on payroll and what were, I guess, the biggest uh, problems you were looking to solve when you got into it? Sure. Well, I'm yet to meet anyone, and I've been working in the payroll industry for 20 years, and I'm yet to meet anyone who actually left school and said to themselves, I really want to get into the payroll industry. You know, you know people who say, I want to be an accountant, I want to be a pharmacist, I want to be a dentist. No one says I want to be a payroll person or a payroll professional, um, and and likewise, likewise, neither did I. I was uh, I did a marketing and commerce degree, um, but I ended up working for uh, payroll software companies, and um, over sort of sixteen or seventeen years, sort of worked everything from uh, product product design uh, through to. Um, uh, sales and, and in the end, I ended up. Uh, I was heading the sales team for a couple of uh, fairly big payroll companies that you'll probably know. You probably know of MicroPay. Yep. I ran that sales team for seven years, and um, then I worked for a, a quite a big global uh, company. And basically, after seventeen years of of working in payroll companies, particularly the ones that are uh, global, I just got sick of sending um, board reports. I, I seemed to spend my whole time on sales forecasts and board reports, and I just didn't really feel like I was achieving anything. Um, I always used to joke about that I was going to put something really smart aleck in the board reports that would go off to London, so like you guys really don't know what you're talking about or whatever, just to see if anyone actually read them because over the years that I did them, I didn't ever get one question about my board reports. And what I was seeing is that there was um, – a fairly unsupported um, payroll sector. Uh, there, there were there was another organisation like Australian Payroll Association, but they were they hadn't really moved um, much in the sort of the twenty years that they were um, had had been uh, providing payroll guidance and advice. So I just saw the need to do something differently and and to use technology and you know like. like um, you know the sort of things that you do for for pharmacists. We want to do for the payroll sector is really find um, how you can match technology with with what their you know what their needs are. And so we started with um, putting together a um, like an advisory service, sort of like a you know a, a subscription type of advisory service that uh, you know we you, you join as a member. Uh, then we started to do payroll training, so we do payroll training online and and classroom based, and that sort of just morphed into now we do specialist payroll recruitment, we do 
got the only nationally accredited payroll qualifications in Australia. So it just really grew out of what the needs of the clients were. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And, you know, particularly in pharmacy, it's really a job no one ever wants to do or even probably do it properly. Um, and it's often something that uh, I think a lot of our, a lot, a lot of us have been guilty of thinking that there is that mag- magic payroll button that you press well, and, that, uh, and it gets done. <laughs> well, well, exactly right. And I mean, and if I wish it was that simple, it would be great. But, you know, the reality is it's, it's not. Um, and whilst there might be a button that you press at the end of the process, the actual complication in payroll and the risk in payroll is everything you do before you press that button. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, my, the, the thing that worries me the most is when people say, no, there's nothing wrong with our payroll. You know, Beryl's been doing our payroll for the last 20 years and everything's fine. It's one of those silent problems that you don't really know you've got a problem until something really bad goes wrong. Yeah. Like someone makes a call to fair work or, and it doesn't even need to be a complaint. I've heard of some of the biggest fines that fair work have, um, have given uh, employers have come from not a complaint, but an employee just phoning up to inquire what they should be paid. Just wanting to check what, you know, pay rate that I should be on. That can trigger an audit. Hmm. And certainly, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, a lot of our pharmacy owners who are also pharmacy guild members, and that is the most of them, um, they're really well supported by a workplace relations unit. And, you know, often over the years, I've probably had uh, Nat in uh, in Victoria on the line more often than not talking about, you know, what should we do? Is this the right kind of pay level? How do we structure this kind of um, agreement and so forth? But, you know, it often, um, you know, falls down when it gets to that pay level and also the interpretation of what the award is and uh, you know you sometimes do get stuck in the middle of really understanding well what does the award mean and how do people actually fall into the into it properly well that's the thing you know it's the interpretation of the document that and you can you can probably talk to several different people and get several different answers of interpretation that's gr- that's a great service from the pharmacy guild I think that that's uh, quite extraordinary and that's sort of more than a lot of um, a lot of uh, you know employer organisations would actually give you, so I think that that's a great start. But ultimately, um, it's not just about the calculations of of you know the the payments of the employees. Um, it's what do you pay super on? And a lot of a lot of people think that super is nine and a half percent of of gross wages, and it's not. It's nine and a half percent of ordinary time earnings. So what are ordinary time earnings? Your your, your award doesn't tell you that. It's how do you calculate long service leave? Small business, the big one of the biggest things that small business are getting wrong is calculation of long service leave. Um, I did have a small business owner ask me the other day, "What does small business have to accrue for long service leave?" Absolutely, they do, and also long service leave is um, is accrued in in weeks, not in days or hours. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, and it's not a material issue for one employee. But if you've got twenty or thirty employees and they're they're long-standing employees. That can be a material, um, a material issue for you. Yeah. No. Look, and it's always the you know the key concern is always: Am I right? Am I doing it right? And am I at risk? And uh, you know, often you know, if if pharmacies have progressed to bringing that back in house, or even worse, adding another hat to the pharmacy owner's head uh, to wear, um, you know, there's really you know not a lot of understanding, and it's probably just trying to get the bare minimum done. But uh, you know, realistically, to audit what you're doing, um, you know, you probably need to have a a fairly good professional on your side. 
Well, that's the thing too that most uh, it, it, most accountants, even for example, are not payroll experts. They're accounting experts. So what we find is, you know, a lot of accountants will talk to us and ask us to, um, you know, do a payroll compliance audit for their for their clients because as an accountant they they know all the law around taxation and structuring and you know trusts and all these other things they don't necessarily um are across in employment and payroll law and you can understand too particularly if you're a you've got a group of pharmacies it's it's less complicated if you've got if you're in one state but if you're across states You've got some rules that apply to payroll that are federal, like fair work, like um, how you accrue annual leave, for example. But you've got other areas that are state-based, so um, workers' comp, um, payroll tax, long service leave, they're all state-based. So I actually don't think if we tried, we could make a more complicated payroll system you know, in, 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 you know, for whatever, however many 10 or 12 million working Australians. It's pretty complicated. Mm. And, and certainly I think some of the complication also comes down to that, you know, the payroll discussion for any one employee starts when they begin work in the pharmacy. And quite often it's not the person who's hiring them um, that really understands, I guess, any of the implications of what they may be subjected to from payroll and whether what they've actually put in or wanted to put in the contract has actually gone through someone with payroll expertise. That's right. And there's also a there's also a um, – I, I like to think of it as a triangle because you've got fair work, you've got, you know, like I say, your state legislation, you've got your, your um, potentially your EAs, you've got, um, you know, perhaps even uh, just individual agreements. They all have a hierarchy. So what a lot of particularly small businesses think that can happen is that they can, for example, pay a higher rate of pay but opt out of other obligations. And you can't necessarily do that. So um, just trying to think of a good example. Uh, you can't, for example, and this is a really quite an obvious one, but uh, this is just to start to you know illustrate the point. You can't pay someone more and opt out of, say, um, paying them overtime or opt out of um, you know accruing a certain amount of leave because there's some base entitlements. And you've always got to be able, and this has been the problem with the transition to modern awards where you've gone from um, sort of EBAs that you might have had and modern awards and you've always had to have kept track of where the modern award was because as soon as that modern award went over your, your legacy agreement, you had to switch to the modern award because you have to pay the greater of the two. And so this is where, the complete, particularly from 2010 to 2014, when you've seen that tra- transitional arrangement, and that's when a lot of employers were being caught out completely unawares. I mean, things like underpaying employees and, and all these sorts of things that Fair Work get it really cranky about, most, more com- very commonly, it's not something that the employer even knew that they were doing wrong. Mm. But Fair Work don't, uh, there is, there is, ignorance is no excuse with Fair Work. And they are very heavy-handed with fines. So it really is, unfortunately, employers really do need to be proactive. 
Yeah, and, and, and it's been no no more no more ever present in pharmacy in the last twelve, eighteen months when, you know, Fair Work did give notice that pharmacies would be targeted because some significant fines were handed out and breaches were found and you know, on the back of that there was this great big folder that I know that I've had, um, and a lot of pharmacy owners would have instead an interpretation guide in plain English that the guild put together, but ultimately <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a fairly big digestible thing and uh, you know not a lot of us want to do it so we've often turned to you know organizations to manage it on our behalf but probably as, as you may as you may tell us Tracy um, you know not really outsourcing our obligations well exactly and and outsourcing I really do believe um, in outsourcing for small business I think it's a really uh, viable option um, because typically for smaller businesses you really do have people that are not qualified to do the payroll, doing the payroll. And it can be anything between, you know, it can, if you've run a, I know your clients are not butchers, but, you know, you could you could be a butcher and the butcher's wife is doing the payroll on the weekends. Every Anything from that through to, you know, your accounts payable or your accountant or your bookkeeper doing your payroll. And, again, that, that really is, I mean, and with no disrespect to accountants and bookkeepers, most of them are not experts in payroll. So you make the decision to outsource, which is, you know, a, a, not a bad decision for a small business because it's no point employing a payroll specialist in your team and paying for that extra head when, you know, you, you haven't got a whole sort of a whole job for them. Mm. The issue with outsourcing, there's a few issues with outsourcing, but the main one to understand is that when you outsource your payroll, you are only outsourcing labor. You are not outsourcing responsibility. So don't think that because you outsource the payroll, everything's fine and the payroll outsourcing company are going to take care of uh, whether your payroll is compliant or not. They will just pay what um, what you tell them to pay. And when Fair Work or the ATO or whoever it is comes knocking and wants to understand why you're paying things in a certain way, the they will come after you, not after your payroll outsourcer because your payroll outsourcer will just say, they told me to pay it like that. Mm. So it actually potentially becomes more dangerous because the payroll outsourcer may make assumptions that are not correct. So if you are outsourcing payroll, you've got to, A, you've got to still really know what you're doing. You're not outsourcing the responsibility and you've got to make very clear how you, know, how you want the payments to be made. And I, and I guess a lot of the questions of our of our listeners at the moment would be around that, that, look, it makes good financial sense to outsource it because you're only going to pay for a certain use of um, a, a, a payroll organisation's infrastructure to be able to fulfil your, your weekly, fortnightly, monthly payroll. Um, but what can they do to learn more and find out if they are compliant? Um, are there audit tools that can look at their payroll records as a snapshot and uh, you know give them some confidence? that they are doing the right things. Yeah. Look, there's, there's not. I'd love to say, yeah, you just download your data and put it through this. Amazing. There's, there's not any particular audit tools. We do payroll compliance audits, but it's a, it's a manual process. And sure, we've got some fancy spreadsheets and all the rest of it. But, you know, just back um, on, the, on that outsourcing thing, I, I don't want to put people off outsourcing because, like you say, it's, I think it's a really smart financial move. And, and it's not something that I talk about very often. Um, but if any, you know, I mean, and I don't. This is I don't this mean for this to be a um, a plug for what we do. But we actually have a small outsourcing business, and 
because one of the one of the issues is is like I say, you don't get the advisory with outsourcing. Now we don't, you won't find it on our website. But what we did is we've got a team of of really clever um, people who've got years and years of payroll expertise. And what I decided to do is because I'd, I'd never wanted to have an outsourcing business, but my team has the knowledge. So what we what I actually did is I said to my team. Um, why don't we start an outsourcing business and you guys are all the shareholders of that. So we don't advertise it. It's only when people come to us and say, look, we just don't know what to do. We, we just don't have any other options. And, and you know, we, we do some very some small business, very specialized payroll outsourcing. Mm. Failing that, if you've got the if you've got the knowledge in house, so you might have, you know, the you might be working with the pharmacy guild in terms of, you know, the workplace um uh, you know, the workplace specialist, you might then just outsource the labor. Now, there's a lot of um, companies that you can just outsource the labor to, which is which is fine. But just back to um, to audit tools, and sorry, I'm jumping around a bit. That's all right. Um, it, it's just really, really tough. And sometimes, um, I actually, I'm, I just wish I had an answer for you, uh, but I don't. But oftentimes, you only know that you're doing things wrong. Uh, when when fair work comes, so it really is about trying to be proactive and unfortunately trying to engage experts. And maybe it's something that the pharmacy guild could potentially. I mean, they could potentially sell it as a service that you know, just to 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 audit payroll. But it unfortunately is quite a manual job, so it's not a cheap thing to do. Yeah, well, certainly. Look, um, my experience, and we've had um, a couple of guests already on the Transformation Show. Uh, Michael Robertson from the uh, Pharmacy Guild, which I think, of memory serves me correctly, episode twenty-five, and uh, Michael Hazilius from Easy Employer in episode twenty-eight, um, and particularly uh, Michael's. Um, Michael's uh, business, which is attached to the Pharmacy Guild of SA, um, they do provide some advisory capacity over um, your compliance. Um, but you know, it's something that we probably would have to check as to whether that responsibility uh, can be certified um, to give you confidence around the audit. But certainly, you know, that because it is attached to the guild and attached to workplace relations, there is, a, I guess, a higher degree of understanding of whether you're missing something. And uh, certainly over the years of working with them, they've been able to red flag and certainly, um, you know, Easy Employer being a software basis and now going into managed payroll as well. I imagine from our discussions that they're developing award interpreters and so forth to, again, throw those red flags up. But I, I still believe ultimately that responsibility will always still rest with the pharmacy owner at this point. Yeah, it absolutely does. And that's a really, I think if they get it right, I think that's a really valuable service for pharmacy owners um but like you say they've they've got to be able to have somehow having that certified that that it is right but you're right there is no matter what happens the responsibility will be on on the employer and remember it's not just about um you know rates of pay and do we pay this or the other it's it it's things outside of the agreement that are still covered in payroll legislation it's what are you paying your superannuation on it's you know how you're doing how you're calculating your termination pays. Like, for example, a lot of people don't know, and hopefully a lot of your listeners don't have to do this very often, but for a redundancy payment, there are over 50 different things that you need to know the answer to to ca- correctly calculate and tax a, t- a redundancy pay. Hmm. So these are the sorts of complexities that, um, the, you know, that, that payroll 
people have to deal with every day. And that's not something that you'll find in your modern award. Yeah, and, and also the other financial implications as well. You know, when we when we sit down with our accountants every year and do our budgets for, you know, our our team's, uh, you know, influence over the budget, you tend to be up metriced on uh, wages to sales as, as the KPI and probably more so now wages to gross profit now that the uh, the previous reform has shrunk the total income as far as the pharmacies are concerned. But the I guess the implication always when you think about, you know, you're hiring someone at $30 an hour and there's a base rate and then there's super and then there's, you know, work cover that you've got to put on top. And it, it really then starts to sound very grey as to what the true cost to the organisation is is for, for, for each team member and, you know, adding on training and orientation and all of those aspects that, uh, you know, I imagine um, um, it, there's a lot of data in all of that that could be very useful in making those decisions. A- absolutely. And I think it's one of, you know, we, we like to talk about big data and, you know, in, in business. And one of, the, one of the things that's always forgotten is the amount of data you've got in your payroll. Um, just at a basic level, um, you know, analyzing your overtime or your premium hours to to ordinary hours. Um, you know, no one. I have a firm belief that no one should ever roster for premium hours. I mean, you you just should never be in that situation. And sometimes, you know, we will find organisations that are are rostering for premium hours. Um, it's silly things like, um, and this is really to do again with the with the payroll setup. And you can actually. If you really analyze your data, you can you can find this this sort of thing out. But a lot of organizations are overpaying unknowingly. Now you often if you're underpaying, you'll, you'll normally find you'll normally have someone that will bring that to your attention. But with overpayments, you don't, and it's not because people and your employees are trying to you know um, get more money than they're entitled to. They'll employees will tend to think that that the person doing the payroll knows what they're doing. So they won't necessarily identify with overpayments. And again, this is all about setting up um, your payroll system and then relying on it. And sometimes that's not such a great thing to do, which is why technology is great, but we shouldn't re- just rely on it, set it up once and, and forget it. We I worked recently with a, um, a charity in Sydney. Uh, they sort of have respite um, homes and they've got 400 employees, but 200 of those are casual. And we were able to identify just by analysing their data, their payroll data, that just by the way that they were paying their casuals on the weekends, they were overpaying half a million dollars a year. Mm. Now, that wasn't necessarily material for each of the employees, but over the 200 casuals, it was certainly material. Now, their payroll manager had been with them 14 years so with the overpayments over 14 years, you could probably build three respite homes. Mm. So, and that was just because it was set up 14 years ago incorrectly, only, only, only a very small change, um, but was costing this business half a million dollars in payroll overpayments a year. Oh, that's 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 unbelievable, and I sometimes wonder that you know that payroll because it is seen as that magic button, um, it's just completely disconnected from the operations of the business, and that you know a lot of its influence and I guess the insights and the data that you're talking about, you know, could be really relevant to you know to your operations and your human resources people uh, in making everyday decisions, and um, to, to, in, I guess in your experience where you've seen it work really really well and pay. Payroll has made a big difference to a business because it's able to generate these types 
types of insights. Do you see a much closer connectiveness between, you know, HR and operations and payroll? Yeah, the the the, the employers that are really getting this are getting huge value from it. The 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 challenge for for me and and for for my team is to be able to make that connection because like you say there's a, there is a disconnect. People just think payroll is single dimensional and it's just about paying people. Um but the organizations that are, you know, like we work with a a large um manufacturing or food manufacturing uh, organization in Australia and you know they are they are just starting to get onto this you know they've got 7000 employees so they're just starting to connect with this a huge amount of valuable data there and you know manufacturing is is not necessarily the you know the industry that you want to be in right now but rather than cutting costs they can actually use the intelligence in their their data to be able to manage their business and make decisions make based on informed information yeah. And and Tracy, what would you say would be like your top three bits of data insight that, you know, any of our listeners could be looking at? And and that's and that's the interesting thing. We do have quite a wide range. It might be individual pharmacies, it also could be groups and multiples. Um, but you know, the top three bits of data that they should be looking at that, you know, might even, you know, raise a few eyebrows in terms of the fact that they didn't really know it existed before. Well, both for small business and for large business, we find there are mistakes in leave accruals. So you can do some fairly basic um, data ad- analytics that should work out what your leave accruals should be, and then you just reconcile that to what they are. And you could do that by employee fairly easily, um, but just by analysing, you know, your, your current leave accruals and your um, historical pay pays. I mean, that, that's not, and that, that's across big and small business. Um, because again, even if you haven't paid them out, you don't want if you're over accruing leave, you don't want that sitting on your balance sheet. Yeah. Um, the like I say, the premium versus normal hours um, is is a useful one. And again, similar to your leave, um, you can do a fairly simple calculation on super to see if you're overpaying super. Many many employers, particularly small employers, are overpaying superannuation. Um, there are. Superannuation, as I said before, is paid on ordinary time earnings. It is not paid on every payment. So if you're paying it on every payment, you need to, um, you know, fix that straight away. But it's not something that most employees will get upset about. They'll get upset about if, if you're overpaying them and you're taking cash mm. out of their out of their wages every every week or fortnight. But it, it, you can you can fix superannuation without too much hassle at all because most employees. You know, don't unfortunately don't see that as cash in their pocket. Um, so again, you can do a very quick calculation. Just you know, dump out of out of your your database uh, what payments you're making for each type of payment. Determine which of those types of payments is superable and which isn't. Do I mean do a quick calculation in Excel, and you'll actually you know reconcile whether what the super that you should be paying based on the super and and compare that to the super that you are paying. Well, that, that's certainly one that I, 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 I'm just learning about just through you now because, you know, I'd always assumed that our super uh, was calculated on, you know, gross wages um, irrespective of uh, the um, hours worked. And, um, you know, and, and, and that's the thing, like pharmacies, particularly the uh, the longer 
longer length of hours. Um, and there, there are still a, quite a number of seven-day, nine-till-nine businesses uh, that do obviously have a fair bit of overtime and a fair few of those unsociable premium hours in, mm-hmm. in, in their um, in their group. But um, certainly, um, yeah, it's, it's something that we probably would have seen as an oversight up well, until that's, now. That, that, that's... One just one example to just to take on that is, for example, if you're doing a, a Sunday shift penalty, if you if you work every Sunday, that's part of your ordinary working week, and you get a shift penalty for that. That that attracts super because that's ordinary. That's your what's called your ordinary time earnings. It's what you would ordinarily expect to be paid. Yeah. If you work an extra day and you get overtime for that day, that does not attract super. It is not part of your ordinary hours that you expect to be working. Now it's it's not actually that complicated. There's a, we've got a, a a matrix. It's not that big. Um, I just don't have it right now. I can't sort of talk you through it. But um, it, it just shows you. And I'm happy to happy to share it with you, so you can share it w- with yeah, your listeners. Yeah, we can put it in the um, show notes. Of of what is ordinary time earnings and what isn't. Yeah, I I can almost guarantee you that most small businesses are are paying super on things that they don't need to be and sure it's not necessarily material for one person but if you've got 10 or 20 staff over a year it can be you know it's just coming straight out of the profitability of the business yeah and and also tracy like for for pharmacists who may even be starting their pharmacy ownership journeys as well and uh you know they've got no historical systems to hang on to um what would you what would your advice be to you know to give themselves their best start with getting payroll set up the right way you know what types of standards should they be looking for and um you know what kind of features should their products be offering them um that's that's very difficult because it depends on how you run your pharmacy if you're an analytical person you're probably wanting a piece of software that's got some really good reporting capability um if you don't really want to have anything to do with payroll and it's in the too hard basket you just may be best just to outsource that um it, and it, it really does depend on, I mean, I'm yeah. not trying to get away from not answering that question, but it depends on, it's like saying what's the best sort of car to buy. Well, I guess, I guess, I guess where, where we're looking is, you know, with a lot of, um, a lot of products and cloud-based technologies offering the ability to log in anywhere, anytime and, oh, okay. to, and to have people out external to your business working on the same file that you could have access to. Um, oh, absolutely. Look, I'm a massive fan of, of cloud technology. Um, to give you an idea that the little outsourcing, you know, little outsourcing, the outsourcing business that we do is all based on cloud technology, mainly because our clients are actually, we've even got clients overseas. We've got a... a um, a financial services organisation in Cyprus that have 120 employees in Australia, so we do their payroll. So it's useful. You know, cloud technology is just the only way to go. Um, so you have a paperless payroll environment. Um, you know, leave is entered um, online. Uh, pay slips and payment summaries are delivered to the employees online. It means they've got a history, and you know, no one ever loses their pay slips. And in you know, years ago, one of the most annoying things that can happen to a pay office is people coming and saying, I'm, I'm about to go for a bank loan, I need my last 10 pay slips. So absolutely, if I, if I was, I just wouldn't look past a, a, a cloud-based product. Um, but in terms of functionality, you know, there's a few around and there's a, the, the, even the products that aren't, that were built as client server, you can access them 
um, you know, on, online they'll they'll sort of give you platforms that you can access them online. They're not necessarily the fastest products in, in the world, but um, you know that they functionally they're proven versus the ones that are built. Uh, purpose built for uh, to be accessed through a browser. Well, I guess I guess one of the big things that we all look at right now as we uh, you know build our our virtual uh, Lego sets, so to speak, of uh, cloud based technology and connecting it together. Because you know, as as we're talking only recently on on the show with uh, Mike from uh, Nostra Data, and they run a healthcare uh, data analytics company uh, around retail pharmacy and retail businesses, and uh, to get all of that data into one place to you know obviously make smarter business and uh, customer and patient decisions, um, you know, is obviously the, the holy grail of where we want to go. And um, have, have you seen any great examples where, you know, the payroll data has played a big role in, you know, some of the decision-making platforms and reports of, uh, you know, even bigger organisations now that that technology's, you know, been, I guess, democratised to the small business owner as well? Yeah, absolutely. I did some work a couple of years ago with um, a great organisation called Australian Hearing They've got 152 sites in Australia. They've got about 1,200 employees, so bigger than your average kind of pharmacy group. But um, the, the, the theory is exactly the same. So what they were doing is they had no transparency at all about what was happening in their payroll. And, and, and payroll is very, very closely linked with rostering. So you should be looking using your payroll data to, to make your rostering decisions. So they were doing things like a, an audiologist would um, would call in sick, and then they would have to find that you know they'll just plug the hole with anyone they could find. And in one 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 time, and this is the thing that really did it for me, they flew an audiologist from Geelong to Townsville to do a shift. <laughs> so you know that's a pretty expensive way to run your business. So what they did is is um, over a period of time, I worked with them to really understand what their real requirements were because the, the, none of the line managers or you know whether they were the area managers the HR manager the CFO none of these people could make any decisions with any um, certainty because they just didn't they just didn't have um, vis- any visibility to, to payroll information so they ended up um, putting in a new system with a cloud-based um, self-service so they had uh, could could get that reporting out to any of the area managers and the line managers um, really, really very quickly as soon as the payroll was run. And in some respects, they can actually see what their payroll costs are. You can get systems, you can see what your payroll costs are before the end of the pay period. You could, If you've got daily, um, if you're entering the data daily. Mm. So there are systems like that as well. And now they are not making silly decisions and flying audiologists around the country and they've they're actually being able to use that information that they've they've collected to make really well informed business decisions, not just um, reactive business decisions. Yeah, and I guess that's just so important now, and particularly in pharmacies not isolated from this, that uh, operating costs are continuing continuing to go up, and uh, on the back of uh, very heavy PBS reforms and a high um, reliability on the on PB, on PBS and the community pharmacy agreement for our income, um, it's needing to be becoming more operationally efficient. And uh, I guess you don't just don't want to be poking sticks in the dark when you make those big decisions as to you know whether you're going to reduce your workforce or how you're going to re-enable them to work smarter. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and the other the other thing to think of when in payroll, and it's not necessarily something I 
I don't want to make people um, too worried about, but it does happen, is, is payroll fraud. So, you know, payroll's very, you know, um, high transaction numbers and, um, you know, even like I say, even a small amount over a large employer group or a, over 52 weeks a year can be material. So there have there certainly are cases and not all of them are reported because not all of them uh, end up being prosecuted because employers think that by not prosecuting an employee, they've got a better chance of getting the money back. But there is more cases of payroll fraud than you would you would expect. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, from time to time, the payroll industry is kind of infiltrated by people who want to you know, do fraudulent things. And it can be, there's lots and lots of different ways. This is not a how-to um, interview, mm-hmm. I know, but there's lots of lots of different ways that you can um, successfully defraud uh, an employer through payroll fraud. So again, it's that's just something to keep in mind with with your systems and your processes and your governance. And you know the amount of organisations I go into, large organisations as well as small organisations who do not have a documented payroll process um, and and other sort of governance um, processes that you know, would would make fraud very difficult. It's not, it's, you don't have to do too much to make sure that, you know, you're, you're not susceptible to fraud. So I just to think if you're that new pharmacy owner and you're setting up your system, I'd keep, I'd keep that in the back of your mind as well, that your processes have to be really, really tight to ensure against um, any fraudulent activity happening on your payroll. Yeah, and, and and you're right. It all comes down to the systems because it can even leak, um, particularly if um, you know all the all the pay slips um, and timesheets are being done manually, um, and so therefore you would have a roster, uh, but you wouldn't have potentially a deep enough uh, seat of management actually monitoring whether individuals are turning up on time, coming coming back to, on their breaks, and um, <clears throat> we've seen technology play a really big role of recent. Times where you know you've got time clocks, and uh, you know certainly I remember my experience uh, in my father's businesses. Um, you know, implementing the simple time clock, which is you know probably the 1980s, 1990s, where you got the ink stamp. Um, you know that really started the shift, and then a few years later we transitioned to the fingerprint. Um, and it, and the changes in the fluctuations of payroll, um, you know, all disappeared uh, just on the back of having a great system behind it. Exactly right, and 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 like I say, fraud's not necessarily a deliberate. There's deliberate fraud, and then there's non-deliberate fraud, and um, you know, like you say, it's like timesheet fraud, just turning up fifteen minutes later than what you say you did. Or uh, another one, if you're using paper-based leave forms, you know, the amount of leave forms that get signed off by the manager, the manager knows that the employee's going on leave, but just never make it to the pay office because yeah. you know things get busy gets chucked out by mistake, the employee thinks it's in the pay office but they never get there. So they've taken leave but nothing's been deducted from their leave balance. Those sorts of things are very common in paper-based payroll systems. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And I guess where where do you see it all going, Tracy? Um, you know, there's obviously all this data that you're discovering and these big opportunities that, you know, businesses are able to take advantage of and they're able to tighten their systems up to, you know, obviously maximise the effectiveness that payroll can have in their business and, like you say, de-risk them as well. Um but where where do you see it going? You know, and if, and if time and resources were completely thrown away, you know, what would be the big picture that you'd like to see happen in businesses today? 
mean, ultimately, from our point of view, I'd love to see some real genuine harmonisation between the states. So if you've got pharmacies, say, down the eastern seaboard, you're dealing with three lots of long service leave legislation, three lots of workers' comp, three lots of, um, you know, or, or any, anything that's state-based. So I'd like to see some harmonisation on that more than has has been done in the past. The reality is, though, things like a payroll tax, I'd love to see that harmonised. I'd love to see that actually um, eliminated. I'm sure we all would. But the reality is it's most likely not going to happen. Um just the states are addicted to the, the payroll tax revenues. Um, but even some more harmonisation on, on payroll tax would, would be greatly appreciated. But it's very difficult when, you, when you're dealing with so many different you know, government, uh, government legislators. Um, but in terms of employers, look, I mean, I think that it's, it's been slow happening, but I do think employers are now really starting to see payroll as uh, adding value. That payroll's working more with um, the HR, uh, HR teams and finance teams, whereas it's traditionally been this standalone, random kind of put them in the corner and you know they, they hopefully won't make too much noise, um, sort of department. But now payroll is being seen as, or more so, being seen as um, very a, a really valuable rather than transactional function. And I think that you know. It, the more and more stories and sort of case studies and anecdotes that we discover and, and we spread, we, we can, you know, more employers will take up and sort of, you know, a spark will go off in their head and I think, yeah, maybe we should do that. So, um, but it, look, it is, I've got to be honest, it is slow. I mean, not every employer is, is going to get on the, get on the, you know, this bandwagon. Um, but the ones that do, are going to be the ones that have much more productive workforces for, for the labour costs. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And it sounds like a very big payroll revolution. And hey, you wrote a book about it. So <laughs> congratulations on that as well. Tracy, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. I know our listeners have taken a lot of insights. I know I have myself and uh, we'll be sharing those uh, at the end of the episode. But um, fantastic having you on and look forward to following the payroll journey and have you back in the not too distant future. Thank you so much. Cheers. Well, as we refer to so many times on this show, there is literally opportunity dripping from every ceiling of every pharmacy and also in an area that we don't often acknowledge as payroll, which is an area that we really don't want to do properly and we really don't want to do it. We just want to press that magic payroll button and get it done every fortnight or every month. My three key learnings, and there were so many that I got out of it personally, as I'm sure you would as well. And the first one that I had was the risk and the understanding of really understanding the risk and more so around for those of us who have taken up outsourced payroll, not responsibility, but actually processing, we're not outsourcing the responsibility. It is still our job, and we talk about that even in something like dose administration aids, which can often be outsourced for the packaging, but we can't outsource our responsibility for checking the dose administration aids. And in this case, we can't outsource our responsibility to know that our payroll is fair work compliant. So how do we do that? And that's a really, really interesting question, and it's a big opportunity for a lot of us to be thinking about 
how can we do this better? Because one, it can save us money, and two, it can de-risk our businesses from any potential fines from fair work. And uh, look, I really look forward to getting uh, Tracy's template, which is going to be attached to the show notes. It may be there as we publish this episode as well. Uh, But also make sure you're looking at all of the resources available, uh, the Pharmacy Industry Award Interpretation Guide, which the Guild can provide for you, and reaching out to Workplace Relations at the Pharmacy Guild as well. And they do a fantastic job. Uh, So you should always be putting your hand up when you're not sure, and it's certainly best not to do that once you've actually been given a breach notice. So really, really important. Now, the second one is the biggest data opportunities. Who knew that we had data hidden in our payroll systems that we could actually use to provide valuable and actionable insights? Well, Tracy gave us her top three, leave accruals. So really being able to marry up what you've paid out already and what you should have paid. And is there a discrepancy and can you fix that up uh, before it needs to be all paid out? And the ratio between your premium and normal hours. I know a lot of us have businesses that are open seven days a week in unsociable times that attract penalty rates. So we need to be considering that, but also looking at how we can make our businesses efficient enough to run at a minimum staffing level. That's another conversation, but certainly there are great opportunities to redesign our workflows to do it. And the third one is our superannuation and the fact that we may be overpaying. It's really enlightening to the fact that super doesn't accrue against hours that aren't normal time. So if people do come in and do the extra odd shift here and there to cover other people and so forth, those shifts aren't meant to be covered under super. So it's really important that we look at that and there's gonna be another template I believe Tracy's gonna be able to give us and it'll be in the show notes, so on this page below you. And uh, you'll be able to really get into the point where you can get understanding of whether you're paying correctly and also whether there's any leakages. And the third one is, as would expect, embrace the technology. Uh, There are some great systems out there that offer self-service portals so that you can avoid the conversations of having, can I have my last 10 pay slips, please? Can I apply for leave? All of this should be able to be done by our team members by themselves, and it just get, needs to be approved by us. So it can be flagged with us, we use the information, we should have good HR and rostering systems so that we can, at a glance, see what the impact of that person requiring leave, who can cover them, who's available, so we can make a very quick decision, because no doubt our team members will be a lot happier if we can make a quick decision, rather than asking for a standard four-week application period purely and simply because that'll be the length of time it takes us to get around to it. So that's really important. And also looking at your systems that go a little bit further back through the chain. I mentioned uh, my experience with time clocks and fingerprint readers and how that was actually able to tighten up the time frames and make people accountable for times that they took for lunch, when they came back from breaks. And really, it made the whole purpose of having it more efficient to the point where we didn't get leakage. But as Tracy spoke about, there is the ability, if you don't have good systems, to have payroll fraud in your business, which again is just money that you're leaking and perhaps not knowing too much about. So 
opportunities there, we just need to embrace it. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Transformation. Don't forget, we've got some great interviews coming up. We have Robert Allen joining us for the second time round to chat about optimizing your pharmacy automation experiences and also sharing some deeper insights into some of the exciting automation innovations that were launched at APP only a few weeks ago. I know you're going to love it. But make sure you leave a comment in the show notes. I read and respond to everyone. And I know that Tracy, our guest today, would be only too happy to answer those for you individually as well. Have a great week, everyone. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye for now.